cruising down the street in my 64. Oh, sorry, is that start? Oh, this is Scream Bucket, we've had him in wrong. Learn about movies whilst we're getting your job. There's TV and games and other stuff too. And we're gonna share all this with you. Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to the first of our sort of in between season stream buckets. Rehashed crap from the past. Yes, crap. This is yeah. the best, the re- best rehash you ever find. Yeah. This is four star hash rehash browns. Four star hash browns of goodness, and it is good stuff. It's some of our like some movie reviews from like films that we absolutely love mm. so much. So stuff you may have missed. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a mishmash of our in-depth film discussions for the last 22 shows since September 2018. Ooh. Good heavens. Yeah. So there will be some music in between. Um, not too much of our new chat no. this time round. But in a couple of weeks' time, we will be back after a few of these to fill in the gap while we work on our film. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I did some stuff for the film today. Did you? What did you do? I went to the butchers. The butchers. Yeah, so... Should we do a, a call out to... Yeah, Allingham's. Fantastic for getting guts and plucks. And the best meat around. Yeah. Allingham's Butchers in Hitchin Town Centre. The only place I know where you get Hitchin sausages, by the way. Yeah, they're really good. They, they, and you go into a lot of pubs. Uh, I think Highlander and the George. Yeah. I could be wrong about the Highlander, but the George definitely like sources a lot of their meat from Allingham's. Highlander's still around? What? Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, I'm thinking of... Yeah. What am I thinking of? I don't know. Red Coats? What was it? Red Coats? Am I just making pubs up? Yeah. Yeah. What was the one up from Butts Close? The Cricketers, the Silver Moon. The Angels Reply. There was a pub called the Cricketers opposite Butts Close. In the north of Jorna? The top north corner? Yeah. Uh, it was halfway up. Yeah, that was the Silver Moon that was Silver alongside moon. the Butts Close. But what Scary was, place. What was up from Butts Close? Uh, opposite direction to Waitrose. Oh, that's the Highlander. No, that's not what I'm thinking of. What was it called? Just two old men sitting in a room thinking about closed I old pubs. Remember being going in there underage and drinking lube. <laughs> was I was I there and they and we protested and just sat in the Did you remove the smoking area sign? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was me, sign? that was us, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a it was a it was a man. It's the something. Yeah, yeah. It was something like the Highlander. Oh god, I'm gonna touch Steve. <laughs> We're getting the the answer is coming. Let's yeah, continue okay. with the podcast. All right, okay. Uh, 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 Allingham's. Yes. Allingham's. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, Allingham's. Ah, 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 Allingham's. Allingham's. I was at, at the Allingham's today because I needed to get some plucks. Earlier in the year, Adam ordered from Allingham's these things called pig plucks, hmm. which to the untrained ear are pretty much the breathing system of a pig. I think if you picture an anatomy model of a person, the yeah. lungs and throat. Yeah. It's just that. Yeah. It had a heart in it as well. It had a little heart going it on. Did, it did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I had to had to go in today and they didn't have any pig plucks, so I had to get lamb plucks. So I had to order six instead of four because they're a little bit smaller because it came from a little baby lamb that they butchered. Mm. Anyway, I was in there. Uh, sorry, what did you say? 
Nothing. Sorry, sir. Are you drunk? No, I'm not. I'm very tired. Okay. Um. Ah! <laughs> I spoke to the man, and the man, I said I was doing a horror film. A strange and scary butcher came out and was telling me about his favourite butcher movie, which completely went over my head, so I've never heard of it before. Mm. Midnight Meat Train. Yeah, 2008. Yes, Bradley Cooper, like, just after he did Wedding Crashes, so just when he's starting to get his own roles, and opposite Vinnie Jones, a serial killer butcher who goes around killing people on a train on the underground. Yeah, we just watched the trailer. It's really, really good. It looks amazing, doesn't it? There's some incredible people. Brooke Shields, I saw a name pop up. Ted Raimi. Sam Raimi's brother. Yeah. Interesting film. And we and uh, produced by Clive Barker. Was it directed by? I don't want to say directed. I can't oh, unbelievable. It's weird how these films just slip by. Yeah. You know? There's, every now and again, there's a film that you just thought you would have watched, but you just didn't even know existed. It yeah. It comes out of the ether. Absolutely. You've got to grab it whilst it's there. I'm really excited to finally watch that, actually. Mm. I do kind of recognise... I, I recognise Vinnie Jones in a suit in a train. Yeah. The tube train. But in my head, I'm just getting him from Lock, Stock and Snatch in a suit. Yeah, well, Walking yeah, that's true. Looking angry. <laughs> yeah. Classic, classic films. Mm. All right. Well, let's get on with the show then. So our first uh, rehash is The Big Lebowski. Yeah, I think one of our favourite uh, discussions we had early on. Yeah, and funnily enough going back to it you sent to me last week that you were seriously considering joining dudism yeah so we discussed it I've sod it we'll put the dudism discussion on afterwards as well uh, yeah it's a real religion mm. based on the philosophy of the dude I think it's I think it's sort of vaguely Buddhist Taoist yeah. stuff it's all real things we're put together under the under the umbrella of being a cool dude Ooh. Uh, which is a real thing, and you can get ordained as a dude. Which in America and certain other fake countries, you can then preside over weddings. That's insane. So good. So, if I get become an ordained dude, I can. I'll accept wedding bookings paid for in white Russians, naturally. Yes. And fantastic. rugs. Brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic, do it. I will not uh, be happy until you have become a dudist priest. Well, maybe you should chill out, man. Alright. Maybe I should. Okay, okay, quiet on the set. We premiere in three, two, one. You're listening to Screen Bucket with Adam and Rob. With five award wins and over 17 nominations for different awards, including Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, and several Best Actor Awards. Big Lebowski is regarded as one of the best films ever made, especially by a lot of people who genuinely love film. Rob, would you agree? Best film ever made? If you asked me 10 years ago, I'd have said no. I hated it. What? What? Sorry, let's stop there. Why? Well, this is the thing. I think I was hungover when I watched it, but having watched it again, Mm. it seems like the perfect film to watch hungover. Yes. And now that I have watched it again, I think it's an absolute masterpiece to be honest with you okay well that's good yeah that might be time as well if it's it over time. 10 years mm. so the reason we're talking about big lebowski is because tonight marks the 20th anniversary of its release in the uk in fact i think cineworld are even showing it right now oh that'd be a good one to watch on a big screen wouldn't it it would yeah. so anyway we decided to watch it this weekend um i think it's one of the i think it's 
top five films ever. It's so just incredibly enjoyable. And I think no film has made me laugh this much in a very long time. Mm. I can imagine if you are hungover and starting to fall asleep, you're probably missing most of the humour. The funny thing is about the humour, like it's situational, mm. but it, there's also elements of slapstick in there, which isn't overdone. Yes. He'll have a mug thrown at his head. <laughs> and if you have a mug thrown at someone's head in Scary Movie 6 or wherever they are now, it's not going to be funny. Right. But for some reason in The Big Lebowski, because well, it's him. It's completely unexpected as well. Yeah. Well, it'll just catch you off guard. So let's, uh, let's, let's boil it back a bit. Big Lebowski, what's the story about? So Jeff Bridges plays the dude, Jeffrey Lebowski, a, would you say, late 30s, early 40s stoner type? In... Yeah, it's quite uh, indeterminable. The it's voiceover ages. at the beginning kind of explains that he's a man of the times. Hmm. He kind of reflects that kind of, like we mentioned last time, actually, that kind of uh, slacker, hippie. He's like a lazy sort of demigod of Los Angeles <laughs> yeah. in a weird way. Yeah, absolutely. He's someone who doesn't really worry about anything. No. Doesn't worry about money. Still writes checks for 69 cent for uh, orange juice. Um, just quite happy kicking back with a white Russian and playing bowling with his mates. Absolutely. Until one day, two thugs burst into his house, shove his face down a toilet and says he needs they, to come up with the ransom money. They, they demand money because his wife owes them money. He, of course, isn't married. But the big Lebowski is. Yeah, so they, while they're interrogating him, kind of make it clear that they're asking money from a millionaire, or what they believe is a millionaire, not someone who lives in a run-down, shabby apartment with nothing in it, apart from a rug, Hmm. which one of the thugs, who they describe as a Chinaman, decides to urinate on. Hmm. And he loves that rug. He does, it really holds the room together. Hmm. So he so cut to the bowling alley, and he's moaning about the situation to his friend Walter. Played John Goodman. By, played by John Goodman, the amazing, incredible John Goodman. Um, Walter's a war vet from Vietnam and still seems very much in PTSD territory. It's integral to everything he talks about, to the way people are, are around him, how they act towards him. Vietnam's going to come up. Yes, absolutely. Um, he's... Also incredibly rude to their third bowling companion, Donnie, played by Steve Buscemi. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Who, so the catchphrase we can't repeat here. He repeated a lot, and that's actually... Shut the front door, Donnie. Yeah, that yeah. one. <laughs> I mean, we we found out that uh, that's a result of uh, the Coen brothers getting fed up of Steve Buscemi's character in uh, Fargo. Yes, Fargo, which is the other huge Coen brothers film. Yeah, where Steve Buscemi's character cannot stop talking. <laughs> so this was their sort of vengeance. Yeah. So they, so Walter suggests that the dude should confront the situation head on. And eventually he, he agrees and he go, heads off to the other Jeff Lebowski's house, the big Lebowski, who the thugs mistook him for. He doesn't ask for money, doesn't ask for anything, but he does ask for a replacement rug, or money to replace the rug. Yeah. The big Lebowski, who, he reminds me of Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. He's a he's a disabled and very evil money man, who, on the face of it, he's very, he works with a lot of charities supporting people, but there's an edge to him. He's a symbol of, um, you know, the upper class and the... 
Well, the anti-dude. The anti-dude. Yeah, he is the anti-dude, isn't he? Mm. Mm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. He hates everything the dude stands for and does not want to give him a penny. He Absolutely. thinks he's already given enough of his money via tax or whatever. Yeah, and he's, he takes offence to the dude not being employed, especially. It takes offence to the dude, Yeah, the very essence of him. Yeah, the dude, he's slightly bothered by it, but he, he dudes out. Sunglasses on, he walks out and very calmly steals one of the rugs from his mansion. Fire a chat with the Big Lebowski's wife, Tara Reid. Yes, who is very clearly a trophy wife. Very young, very attractive. Um, painting her toenails with green nail varnish. And she's got into a bit of nasty business involving a big sum of money and the porn industry? Yeah, as revealed later on. So the dude goes away... Got his new rug, um, and that's when things go a bit crazy. Yes. So he gets a phone call saying that they don't care about the rug, but they need his help. Turns out the wife's been kidnapped, and they ask the dude to hand, hand over, over, yeah, to hand over one million dollars, and paying him twenty grand. And of course, Walter gets involved and says, hang on a minute, why don't we just switch the million with a dummy case Mm. and give it to... A big bag of his underwear, isn't it? Yeah. So they swap it. They drive off with the million bucks, following a very silly moment where Walter jumps out of the car and rolls around with his gun. (laughs) Yeah. We see... Them driving off into the distance, the the baddies with the... the Oh, so yeah, the the plan is that Walter's going to tackle them. Hmm. Keep the money. He's thrown out a dummy case. He's going to tackle them with his Uzi. He's got an Uzi. Uh, and then cl- take both lots of money and save the girl. Except they sort of miss. <laughs> well, yeah, Walter's not in good shape, hits the road hard, and they drive off with the fake cash of money. Jeff crashes for the first of many times. Yes, that poor car. Hmm. Poor car indeed. <laughs> um Someone poos in it at one point, I think. Yes, so that's the thing. So they've got the case of money in the car. One million dollars is sitting in the car. They go bowling, where the dude's very unhappy with what's going on. <laughs> they leave the alley, and the car's been stolen. And that's, yeah, well, that's the gist of it. I mean, we could keep on going with the plot, but... Yeah, it's just endless thing after thing after bad, bad, bad. It's situation after situation, and... The thing we like about it is the fact that the dude just exists for it all. He is unchanged, he's untempered. He just goes from place to place, completely unaware of what's going on. And I think we agreed that we didn't really know what was going on completely either, which is quite interesting. Yeah, that again seems to be a bit of a Coen Brothers thing. But that works in this case because we're following the dude's, I mean, you said it, the frustration. Mm. We're, we're getting annoyed with him. Like, what? what's happening now? Who's this person? Why is she? Why is she gliding in on a harness? Yeah, yeah, no, true. Didn't this film start a religion? Yeah, I don't know much about this. Do you know more? Dudism is that what it's called? I think it just basically comes back to the fact that people were so inspired by this character that they just wanted to create a whole lifestyle, not even a lifestyle, a religion around his sort of view towards life and how to approach it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let me just find out. But let me Google it. Google, Google, Google. Bloop, bloop, Okay, yes. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I found a thing about dudism. So basically it's Taoism-ish. It's the smoke if you got them 
kind of mentality. Mellow out. Uh, there we go. The idea is this: life is short. Life is short and complicated, and nobody knows what to do about it. So don't do anything about it. Take it easy. Stop worrying. Kick back with some friends. Do your best to be true to yourself and others. That is to say, abide. See, do you know what that does? That relaxes me. That's interesting. It just relaxes me. Yeah, yeah. You think about all the things you worry about from day to day. What are you going to achieve? How's your job going to go? Yeah, as the dude himself says, the dude abides. Which is in reference to a passage from Ecclesiastes. Okay. Uh, one for one generation passes away. And another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Which is a reference to how the dude, much like the earth, can weather change and chaos around him, but still remain the same. Hmm. I mean, that's the point. Like, there's no real character development with him. No, that's true. Which is perfect. He gets frustrated, but actually it just levels out again. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, generally, the film is... We were laughing the whole way through. Um, Absolutely. Do you know what? Uh, just briefly, it reminded me of, and especially the sort of drug scene sequence where he mm. has that the massive sort of dream sequence. It reminds me of a Terry Gilliam film, and I wonder if that's a '90s film. Um, thing. Could be. You know, there's like sort of things coming out of the black. Yeah, and, especially you know. when he's on the run, when he's been drugged, he's been spiked. Yeah, and he just has a hallucination of the uh, the nihilist coming after him. Oh, um, the scissors. Yeah, yeah. I suppose a sort of nightmarish dream sort of scape maybe that is a 90s thing i haven't really thought mm. about that before yeah um but yeah i mean generally performances are all amazing direction by joel cohen is joel isn't it mm. yeah really really good really strong um yeah one of my favorite films ever fantastic and now mine probably ah cool ah proper turnaround screen bucket on no fat fm people Hello, Screen Bucket China Plates. Guy Ritchie here. Um, I've just been up the town drinking a couple of bevies with my good friends, uh, Jason Statham and Vincent Jones. I don't know if you've heard of them. And we just had this great idea to make some more milk and honey, you know. Um, if you get together with my old baked bean, uh, you know, Madonna, I don't know if you've heard of her, um, and we could do like a sort of Bohemian Rhapsody, but about football hooligans. Yes, it's uh, awfully fun. Um, what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll pop down the battle cruiser, uh, have a couple of drinks, and and see what you uh, what you make of it. Anyway, toodles. My life fades. The vision dims. All that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos, ruined dreams. This wasted land. But most of all, I remember the road warrior, the man we called Max. To understand who he was, you have to go back to another time, when the world was powered by the black fuel, and the desert sprouted great cities of pipe and steel. Gone now, swept away. For reasons long forgotten, two mighty warrior tribes went to war and touched off a blaze which engulfed them all. Without fuel, they were nothing. They'd built a house of straw. A thundering machine sputtered and stopped. 
Their leaders talked and talked and talked. But nothing could sting the avalanche. Their world crumbled. Cities exploded. A whirlwind of looting. A firestorm of fear. Men began to feed on men. On the roads, it was a white line nightmare. Only those mobile enough to scavenge, brutal enough to pillage, would survive. The gangs took over the highways, ready to wage war for a tank of juice. And in this maelstrom of decay, ordinary men were battered and smashed. Men like Max, the warrior Max. In the roar of an engine, he lost everything. And became a shell of a man. A burnt-out, desolate man. A man haunted by the demons of his past. A man who wandered out into the wasteland. And it was here, in this blighted place, he learned to live again. That was the opening scene and chase music from Mad Max 2, Road Warrior, by Brian May. Not from Queen. Not, no, just another Brian May. Brian May. Brian May. Brian May. Brian May, I've got some music for you, George. Let me play a little tune on my keyboard. How long is it going to take? 24 hours? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh dear, what a way to start. Yes, Mad Mad Max. Mad Max 2. Yes. So this is the the quintessential post-apocalyptic film, I think. Yeah, I'd say so. Certainly the the uh, the trope namer mm. for post-apocalypse. A lot, massive amount of influence. I mean, you see it in South Park on the kids' walls. You see it. Well, James Cameron was influenced by it for Terminator Two. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, uh, there's thousands, well, countless like Italian rip-off. Of Mad Max. You can see so many of them. Actually, Amazon Prime has a lot. Hands of Steel. Just that standard, like, leather-bound future warrior. In a stark and barren wasteland. And people on bikes and stupid vehicles that just held together with duct tape and wishful thinking. Yeah. Mad Max is, like... Considering that the first film was, until Blair Witch, the cheapest film ever made. No way, was versus, it? Versus Profit. Oh, Wow. That from such humble origins of like one guy making a film after a film course That's to insane. being the most influential like sci fi fantasy action movie possibly ever. Yeah. I mean it's oozed into like 
video games? How many post-apocalyptic Mad Maxi video games are there? Well, it's funny, hundreds, and yet there's only been one Mad Max game, and it was only a couple of years ago. It's insane. Mm. Mad. 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 (laughs) So it was uh, written and directed by George Miller, who was a trained and qualified surgeon. Really? Until he got bored and did a film course and made Mad Max. What, he, that was his steps? Was yeah. he into films before then? I he, guess he must have been. Yeah, I hope so. But yeah, it was a try Because he did Mad Max, the first Mad Max, he did as a road safety-like film. What? Yeah. Because... Whatever you do, don't <laughs> start on Mel Gibson on a road. <laughs> well, Because no, he'll kick your bloody head off. A lot of the, the sort of two-thirds of the first Mad Max 1979 film are just people running around being idiots on the road. Right. And, like, there's bits of dialogue, like, uh, Goose is saying about how he's, he's a police officer and how by the time he got to this accident, this guy was trying to scream with his face ripped off. And oh, that's obviously right. all based on George Miller's actual, like... His surgical experiences. It's terrifying, yeah. I suppose in Australia, he's probably worked on enough, like, casualties to think, right, I've got to make a film about this. Well, the amount of bikers and stuff, like... Mad Max 1, most of the baddies are all bike. All of the baddies are bikers. Uh, and they're all just locals pulled in. Huh. That's just Australia. That's what it's like. That's what they do. And bear in mind that, the, who was it? Stephen Fry on QI told a story about it, how someone really badly needed an organ transplant and the doctor went to the window and said, well, we really desperately need this organ, but it's raining, so there should be some organ donors coming in any minute now. Talking about motorcyclists, so. <laughs> but anyway, Mad Max 2. What happens? So it starts off with a kind of recap come introduction to the character mm-hmm. for people who have not been shown Mad Max 1. Yes, worth noting that actually. Mad Max 1 was barely shown anyway, especially in America. So yeah. much so, this is Mad Max 2 to us, but it's just called The Road Warrior because no one had seen the first one. No. So, yes. So they just briefly went over him, footage of him sort of losing a girl and kicking bad guys' asses and being attacked and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then he's driving. He's driving away from a nasty, nasty, punky motorcycle man and his gimp. Yes, Wes. Wes. Wes and the beautiful one or something. Like, it's a really lame name oh, of for the blonde one. Uh, yeah, Wes and a couple of cars as well. Mm. Um, Max is using his, his super-powered V8, V8 Interceptor, uh, but he runs out. he's running out of fuel, so he has to slow down, and they catch up to him. And we see some road warring. Yeah, he's getting the oil and catching it in his jars and stuff. Well, he knocks the car off the road, they spin out into each other, they crash, he jumps out, and the first thing he does is put out a sponge and start mopping up the petrol yeah. from the road. That's how sacred it is in this world. Yes. So yeah, the post-apocalypse in this isn't a nuclear war, it's not zombies or anything, it's literally the oil has run out. And what's left is people scavenging and hunting and fighting for what's left. Which is, uh, I suppose, what a lot of people worry is going to happen. Yes! Woo! Now's the time to watch these films. Train yourself. Uh, uh, Thanks, Theresa May. And it's sorry. <laughs> Don't get political. Put that in, yep. Well, the key thing as well is that he crashes by a truck, by yes. a tanker truck, which but, is worth remembering. 
It is worth remembering. <laughs> so he stumbles across a gyrocopter, an abandoned gyrocopter. A little mini helicopter with no shell. You just sit in it and it's got a propeller above you and yeah. you zoom around on it. And the first reaction Max has is to grab his crowbar. He wants the fuel or, I guess, spare parts. Hmm. He needs something from it. Goes to it. It's it's bait. It's a trap. And out pops the gyro captain. Yeah. Who I pegged is one of the poachers from Austin Powers when nature calls. He's also one of the lanky aliens from Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. Mm. Oh! Yeah, yeah. Oh! One of the bald, floppy things. Oh, I can so see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, yeah, so go on. <laughs> so, yeah, so the gyro captain laid a trap, but Max is too quick and too cunning. And he has a dog. Yeah. Called Dog. So eventually turns the tables on him, uh, and the gyro captain, in exchange for his life, tells Max of this place where they're refining oil. Kachunka, chunka, chunka. Fuel! Gasoline! Thousands of gallons of it, as much as you want! Where? No, no, where? 20 miles from here. Permanent they are. Refining! Kachunka, chunka, 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 A huge tanker full. Crap! No, 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 no! It's true! It's true! It's true! It's not self-service, no, no. It's too hard for me, but a man of your ingenuity... Where, where, where? Kill me and you'll never find out. Max lets him guide him to the place, and there it is. He finds a fortress around an oil pump. A fortress of hippies. Yes. Come pagans, come pilgrims, come poor people. Scavenging. Well, they're, they're all dressed in white and beige and yellow. They're the goodies. Yeah, exactly. Because around them, circling like angry bees, are the baddies, the black-clad leather BDSM bikers. Yeah, and I want to make a point of this, by the way. BDSM. Mm. Leather chaps with your butt cheeks sticking out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're asking for the worst road rash ever. Yeah, but it's it's hot, isn't it? So you need those bum need circles to, <laughs> to air themselves as you drive along. Yeah, why not? Better that than tight leather trousers in the Australian sun, surely. That's true. How about no leather? Ha- mm, that's a good shout. Just fabric. Fabric. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So Max wants to, uh, you know, he sees an attack. He works out that these guys are at odds with each other. And the leather clad warriors are picking them off like flies whenever they... So they're making their life very hard for them. Well, the The... The settlers, the, the the refiners, are trying to find a way to haul a tanker of oil, we find out. Mm. They've got waiting to go. So they keep sending out scouts. And this happens while Max is observing. They send out scout cars, which all get picked off one by one. But one of them gets taken down, but then abandoned, basically, by the baddies. They just sort of leave it there, apart from one guy. Uh, so Max goes down, takes him out, finds the guy... One of the settlers still alive, and who promises if he if Max can take him back to have all the oil, all the gasoline he can ask for, but he Ooh. dies. But then he dies. Max takes him, goes to the effort of taking him back, but no, the contract died with him. Mm. Mm. Annoying. Yes, a little bit annoying. And Max, who's the reluctant hero, is basically convinces them not to kill him. By promising to use the truck that he saw uh, two days ago. 
Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. But here's the thing. He's not a hero. Max couldn't give two tanks of gasoline. Which is why this is a film that works so well, I think. Hmm. You don't always want to be in a film where the hero is just hero for the sake of it. You want to be into this character who's kind of, I just want to take my take my reward and get out of here. Well, yeah, he's the Han Solo. He's uh, he's the Clint Eastwood man with no name. Um, he's just out for himself. And at the point of the film is that he's dehumanized. He's lost everything that made him human, and now he's just a shallow, burned out man. And throughout the film, we sort of see that some humanity starts coming back. But at this point, he doesn't care. And the film doesn't care either. I don't know if you noticed, that in the, um, before he sort of makes his promise, before they trust him, there's a point when, after the very famous scene when the big bad Lord Humongous promises to let them... Just walk away. Give you a pump. The oil. The gasoline. And the whole compound, and I spare you lives. Just walk away. I will give you safe passage in wasteland. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. Um, there's a big debate about whether to trust him or not. And the villagers are all shouting to each other, like, We should go! We should trust this man! And no, he's just going to kill us all! But we don't hear that debate. The music drowns them out, and then we see Max just... Dealing with the feral kid. Yeah. We don't hear what the film is about. We're just watching Max not care. Yeah. Did you notice that? Because he doesn't care, we don't really care either. Exactly. It's just, it's all just muffled. It's all in the background. Yeah, definitely. And as he gets more invested, um, through no choice of his own, we start to hear it more and it gets louder, more obvious to the, to the audience. Clever bit of filmmaking that. It is. What about, um, the boomerang kid. The feral kid. The feral kid. How do you feel about the feral kid? Well, you said to me, whilst we were watching it, this is the most Australian thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and so it's that like stick of a dump. Yeah, he's just running out with a with a boomerang, a metal boomerang, going... <laughs> <laughs> gives him a little uh, happy birthday ting- jingle toy. Yes. And he loves it. I, there, there's something worth that, because it looks pathetic and, and silly, that music box. But bear in mind, this is probably the first music they've all heard in years. Good point. And the feral kid, may, maybe ever. Yeah. So he's like, wow, what is this thing? Exactly, what yeah. Is it? This is a tune. It's just magic, yeah. Yeah. It, it's easy to forget that. Because that's the thing with Mad Max 2. It's not like 200 years after the nuclear bombs fall. It's not fallout. It's mm. like five years tops. So this kid, can I say gimp? I've said no. Gimp already. You can't call him a... Oh, I see. Can I refer to I the know Gimp? What you're saying. I'm not going to call the child a... <laughs> it does have a name. Let me have a look at his name. Boomer, boomerang. The Golden Youth. Yeah, I knew something like that. The Golden Youth, um, with an expert shot of his boomerang, manages to half chop off Wes's Gimp's head. Well, he aims for Wes, but Wes dodges. Wes dodges. Yeah. And the Golden Youth is just forever in yeah. his own world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, takes them down, and, and Wes goes mad, mad. Uh, there's something that they I love about these films, and I think they kind of go further into it in Fury Road. Mm. But I like the insanity of the antagonists, especially the henchmen. Like, 
one of the idiotic henchmen sees that boomerang almost take a man's head off. Yeah, yeah. Kid uh, Wes throws it, and then he tries to catch it. It chops his fingers off. What and I love, cuts back there's, to there's a nice little nuance there because I, I always think of it when he's running for the boomerang. Everyone else knows this is a bad idea. All the villains, all the bad guys, all the punks and BDSM bikers and stuff, they all go no. No, leave it. No, leave it. No. And then he grabs for it, cuts his fingers off. They all laugh. Yeah. But that's, to me, that shows that they're still, like, human. Because mm. they, they go, no, 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 idiot. Stop it, stop it. But then they've they've twisted. Because they don't act in revulsion. They laugh. Mm. I know. Maybe I'm overthinking that. But that seems like a thing to me. No, definitely. And then there's the added insanity of the guy is laughing or curious about something else seconds after his fingers are chopped off. I think the gyrocopter swings over or something. Yeah. He's staring at something and he's forgotten that his fingers have been chopped off. Yeah, he seems more manic than the others. Like, Wes is legitimately evil. Mm. Probably worse than Lord Humongous, who calms him down quite a lot. Like, whoa there. Which is interesting. That's That's sort of like Lord Vader going crazy and the Emperor going... Yeah, he's got this rational... Vader, he wants calm to... down a bit. Have to... a little sit down, Vader. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to keep a lid on him, doesn't he? He does, yeah. It's just not... Now's not the time. So, yeah. I mean, Mad Max 2 has everything and is probably the film I most watched as a teenager. This and probably Lot Stuck and Two Smoking Barrels that I've watched on loop. Um, but here's the question. Has Fury Road replaced Road Warrior? No. Because um, Fury Road is a much grander film and Fury Road has these giant I mean everything about it is giant with the cliffs and the milk and there's, there's so much of everything I think yeah Fury Road is still the same story though premise essentially it's just, and it has the same thing with, going on I mean Mad, the Mad Max original three films and especially this one it feels like it is Built, been built out of the scraps and the ruins more than the other ones. Definitely, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mad Max One and Two have have a have a full circle. Mm. Three is just dumb. Yeah. Uh, but one, you've got a man leaving civilization, losing everything he loves, and then driving into the outback, right, where he finds himself again at the end. Goes on a gap year. Basically, yeah. He mm. has spring break when he plays with some nightmare people. Free is just... just hmm. Fury Road stands out on its own. And I think that maybe that's the difference. Because part of the thing with Max, and a lot of people complained about it after Fury Road, presumably because they don't understand the character. Max isn't really a person. He's more of a vessel for you to explore the world around it. Yeah. He just sort of turns up. He's the catalyst that starts things You witness whirring. things happening to him through his eyes. Hmm. Things happen. He just stumbles into a, someone else's story, which yeah. I really love, genuinely love that idea that he's just, like like I say, when we weren't actually listening to the plot of the film. No. We're just looking at Matt's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he just slow, just casually unpicks the handcuffs he's got on. Yeah. And just sits there. Like, <laughs> 100%. I've got nowhere, nowhere to go. Mm. And that's the same with Fury Road. People kicked off with Fury Road because it was called Mad Max, but there was a woman who was the main character. Or Charlotte Shea Chiffron. Yeah, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, still. Um, But it it is about Max. It's about Max leading you into that world. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I agree. 
Do you prefer Do you prefer Fury Road over Road Warrior? I I think I do actually prefer Fury Road, and I think purely because the stunts are just absolutely out of this world, and I really, really enjoy Nicholas Holt more than I do. <laughs> That's true. The antagonists in um, Road Warrior. With the stunts in mind, I, while I agree they are amazing Fury Road, the stunts in Road Warrior feel much more dangerous. Oh yeah, and therefore have much my respect a lot more. They're a lot scrappier. What was that? Um, Just read that the tanker. The uh, they had to starve the stunt driver of the tanker for twelve hours because it was very likely that they would have to operate on him immediately <laughs> after shooting. Oh, that was the God. extent of the danger. Yeah. They they rolled a truck at sixty five miles per hour, basically. Insane. Yeah, but I have full respect for that, and yeah. I imagine it might have been a bit more safer on the Fury Road set. Probably not, but maybe a little well, bit more. Well, the thing with stuff like Fury Road, I mean, these days you can just drive a car with a remote control. I, I assume. Yeah, I think there was a lot of CGI a... as well. Uh, yeah, there no you one go. talks about that so much. But anyway, Road Warrior, get your recommendation. Yeah, absolutely, great film. Me too. Watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. Um, maybe skip the third one. Yeah. I can't um, even remember the third one, to be honest with you. It, it, it's not good. Okay. Uh, especially not good because they put Tina Turner in a chainmail bikini as if that was okay. And this is the theme from Mad Max 3, Beyond Thunderdome. You have one message. Message one. Good night. Screen bucket. I smell Gibson here. Uh... This is a little bit awkward for me to talk about, but I just had to apologise for uh, something that happened the other day. Uh, someone, uh, they offered me some orange juice, and uh, I got a bit riled up, because I've told you before, I really hate juice. I really, really hate juice. And for someone to come up to me, you know, a tough, masculine Australian man, and ask if I wanted some juice, it, you know, it was just the last straw, so I lashed out. I threatened people. But uh, that's behind me now, it's all in the past. Um, I really appreciate that you uh, took the time to review Mad Max 2. It's my favourite Mad Max. And uh, thank you. Don't offer me any more bloody juice! Okay? What about a smoothie? Smoothie's fine. Smoothie's fine. As long as there's no bloody juice in it. Anyway, good day. And then they're all having this blazing round. That was uh, Steelers Wheels stuck in the middle with you. Uh, Rob, Rob. No, Alfie over the head. He goes down the step. Have you finished? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Okay, well, I'm glad you enjoyed EastEnders. I didn't. It was awful. (laughs) Oh, dear. I just had to watch it. Yeah, well, you've been going on for approximately eight minutes now, so that's Mm. a sign that you were paying attention, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, you chose a New Year's-themed film for us. I did. Snowpiercer. I did. Yes. So let me just quickly run through the plot with you. Right. Okay, so Snowpiercer is a uh, post-apocalyptic sci-fi story based on a graphic novel. Um, After the cataclysmic events in New York with his fellow Avengers, Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America... What? Sorry, go on. ...teams up with his friend Bucky, who is formerly the Winter Soldier, and has caused the whole world to turn into complete snow. And together they must fight and get through to the end to confront the director of the Truman Show and have sushi in first class. Is that what happened? Yes. 
exactly what happened. Brilliant. What did you think yeah. of Snowpiercer, Rob? Um, I didn't understand why Iron Man wasn't in it. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? But it was still a good film. Mm, no. A very enjoyable film. It's a good uh, duvet film. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. What actually happened? All right. All right. All right. All right. So, in an effort to combat global warming, the nations have come together and released a chemical to lower the Earth's temperature, I believe. C-17 or something like that. But they make a few miscalculations and all life on Earth dies. Bit silly, isn't it? Um, it's turned into a frozen wasteland, so everywhere is snow. Everything's like frozen to the point of cracking to pieces. All that's left is a big train that's constantly going around Earth so it doesn't freeze. Full of the last remaining humans. And the poorest are at the back of the train. And as you go up, you go through the classes to the richest people. And then the front of the train is where the mysterious creator of the train lives. So the poor, they're treated like cattle at the back. They're fed these little cricket food cubes. They're, um, you know, controlled, beaten, cruelly, cruelly treated. So, yeah, so the poor at the back, they're treated like animals, while the rich live in luxury at the front. Yeah, that's right. And it, that's been the case for 17 years. Indeed. And it's up to Captain America to lead the fight and uh, start a revolution. Yeah, along with Billy Elliot and Mr. Ollivander. Yes, I was pleasantly surprised by Snowpiercer. I think I'd always heard about it, and I always assumed it was a bit of a cheap, cat-handed sci-fi story, sort of sci-fi channel sort of film. No, no, definitely not. No, absolutely blown away. I was really surprised at the cast. Yeah, big cast. Big, big cast, yeah. For what feels like a very small film. Well, you can tell that the money presumably went into the cast rather than the effects, because the small amount of CGI is a bit naff. Yeah, and did you notice like the shaky cam was insane? Yeah, yeah it was I very. Did notice that. It was very Japanese. Well, you say that the director and writer, uh, Bong Joon Ho. Sorry, Bong Joon Ho. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> who I yeah. think who I think might actually be um, uh, Korean. Right. Yeah, he's uh, South Korean. Right. And South Korea, if you had to stereotype the films they make do do really good sci-fi yeah um also i just noticed it's uh czech as well south korean and czech That's so and strange they're also very good at sci-fi so yeah. it's quite interesting and then in the middle of that you've got the likes of tilda swinton john hurt chris evans yeah ed harris it's a it's a really really good cho- i was really surprised at john hurt actually because he's possibly one of my favorite actors oh yeah oh. definitely uh but yeah so essentially it's a it's a revolution it's class revolt the, the poor rise up against their oppressors, who are brutally evil. They're like, very evil. More than necessary. Yeah, if you uh, throw something at a woman's face, you're going to get your arms stuck outside and it's going to be frozen off in seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, because it's bitterly cold outside, isn't it? Yeah, to the extent that <laughs> there's a shot where they're, the train's going past seven people who escaped the train one year. And yep. they made it about, what would you say, 50 feet before they just froze to death Yeah, where they stood. How did they get off the train? I think there was a revolt and the trains temporarily stopped. Oh, okay, okay, fine. Um, so been two, there were two revolts prior to the revolt in this film. Yeah. There's a, every five years or so. It's, yeah, something it kicks off. Yeah. It's quite action-packed. There's a lot of fight scenes and things. Hmm. There's a lot of black... This is the other thing that surprised me. There's a lot of black humour. 
There is. It's quite funny. Tilda Swindon, who I'm not that fussed about as an actress, her character's brilliant. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Genuinely like something out of League of Gentlemen. And so it is, is her <laughs> phrase. Yeah. Amazing. So she will, for you guys, Tilda Swinton, she is kind of, at first you think she's the ringleader of all the bad guys, all the soldiers. She comes to the back of the train, they all get beaten up, and then she'll say, you've got to keep in line, otherwise bad things are going to happen to you. You've got to behave, you've got to know your place. You yeah. are a shoe at the bottom of the body, I am the head. Stay being the shoe. Yeah, there's a sort of almost god worship. So the train that that humanity survives on was built by Dr. Wilford. Yeah. Um who is treated like a god essentially. Uh he linked up all of the train railway networks um and essentially it takes an entire year for the train to get around the whole world. Exactly a year. Exactly a year in fact. Because during the revolt as they get into one of the carriages the uh, poor, the lower class yeah, passengers, the bottom class. I'd yeah, say. yeah. Um, they get confronted by a wall of evil, scary men, axe wielding maniacs, executioner hoods, uh, and they get into a big barney, don't they? Mm-hmm. They start fighting, but then halfway through the fight, they just stop. Yep, and they start counting down. <laughs> Yeah. Then the guy, the guy on the floor. There's one soldier who's already been half chopped to death, blood pouring out of his mouth, and he goes, "Hallelujah!" <laughs> there's a lot of little things I like that sort of builds the universe in it. So I especially like there's an artist who draws the children. Yeah, because at the start, we well, he see... captures everything, doesn't he? Like, yeah, photorealistic drawings. Yeah, he captures the events of the journey to the front. In fact, mm. but at the start, because these uh, children. Occasionally they'll come to the back and they'll take kids away, and we don't—you never know what happens to them at first. And every, everyone's completely in the dark about what's happened to their kids. But yeah, yeah, this guy comes around and he's drawing pictures of them and saying, "I'm going to take this up the train and I'm going to ask people if yeah, yeah, you know, people yeah. have seen the kids." And I thought that was a really nice touch. I really liked how at the start of the movie they're trading things they like. They've got so little stuff, but obviously Chris Evans to formulate his plan—he's mm-hmm. trading things with people to. Are they? What I love about. Uh language talking about the universe is they refer to the bullets being extinct if anything's run out they refer to it as being extinct yeah that's quite cool it is because in their world it literally is well and you say that as well they don't say the whole wide world they say the whole wide train because that is their world yeah yeah brilliant they've only been on there 17 years so a lot of them do have memories yeah before so chris evans says that he's had 17 years on the outside 17 years in the train yes yeah and there's a horrible, horrible backstory oh, which yes, yes. we can't really go into. Yeah, obviously we don't want to go into spoilers, but it's um, it's quite deep. There's a lot of stuff that happens. Um, one of my favourite details is when they get about halfway along the train, they find their way to a school classroom carriage. Hmm. And you really understand the world then. Absolutely. It's when uh, the... 1984-esque uh, videos pop up on the screen mm. saying, this is the world that the, was built these, for you. These kids, I mean, the, the as soon as you get out of the lower class carriages, it's actually quite a nice place. Yes. So the classroom's actually quite nice and the kids are well-spoken and well-educated. But they're being fed this absolute 
brainwashed uh, literature. Especially, and some of it goes into why the people at the back are at the back and the people at the front are at the front. Yes. And there's this uh, thing that's read to them, the kind of saying is, what happens if you go outside? The children say back, we all freeze and die. And the teacher's creepy as hell. Yes, she is. Yeah, the pregnant um, teacher. Interesting t- interesting detail that she's pregnant. Mm. It implies that they're trying to keep... Fi- I don't know, it's just a small going. thing. Yeah, just no. keeping things going. Yeah, yeah, I got that vibe as well, yeah. Um, churning the machine and keeping it running. Yeah. Uh, even, the, even on the passenger side. Um, and as things go towards the front, things get a bit more eccentric and mad. It reminded me of Hunger Games. Reminded yeah. me of that world outside of the arena in the Hunger Games. Because there's the, the different rooms. There's there's a weird jacuzzi room. And there's a weird. Uh, there's this room where there's all these chambers and everyone's sat in like their own individual steam room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things that like felt that. very Empire Strikes Back to me. Yeah, it's the thing because it, most of the rooms are very realistic and you sort of can associate it with real life. But every now and then it will go really sci-fi. Indeed. Um, and yeah, and so this group of ragtag resistance fighters just fight their way to the front. And that is the film. Mm. Um, one big confrontation at the end. I mean, it's surprisingly good. And I'm shocked that not more people talk about it, actually. It's an easy watch as well. It doesn't. It's not too demanding. No, it's not. I was going to say that. It's There is some darker elements to it, but you don't really have to think about it too much. No. Um, there is one guy who's a bit weird. Who is he? Is he Franco, they call him? Which one's that? The robot killing henchman man. Oh, he just won't die. He just won't die. That there's a few things like that. What? What? He really weird. He looks like an overweight businessman, hmm. and yet he fights like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, and they just can't cool. stop him. No, I don't know. That just felt really weird to me. Oh, and the other thing, the they make a big deal about how difficult it is to get up the train. But it's very easy. They just walk. There's no security. No resistance at all. Apart from the couple bits where there's a room. I don't know whether it's because they wiped them all out initially, really quickly. But it just walks through. They. It's funny, we were talking about earlier about how um, it's a lot like an anime. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's kind of recognisable in... Animes tend to give characters with small roles quite a big personality. So obviously you've got the teacher when she's singing. She yeah. does that weird eye twitch. And then there's the bald henchman who's taking the eggs down the train. Yeah. And um, there's a bit cool. where he's taking out prisoners <laughs> and he does this weird little facial eyebrow thing. Like it's just a da 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 da. <laughs> and obviously the henchman you're talking about just now, there's, it's always good in a film like this when there's small characters and they're not just blank faced bad actor henchmen. They're actually like these individual. It's true. That is true. Know. In fact, I can, I'm visualizing that guy in an anime and I can absolutely see it. Yeah. It's a slightly porky businessman who's just dark-faced and evil. Indeed. and yeah. yeah, I can totally see it. Um, equally, on the goodies side, there's a lot of time spent with Yona. who's never... I didn't feel like she was really properly developed, but quite interesting. It's implied that she has clairvoyance or something. Did they actually explain what that was? Not once. Right. So She can see through doors, is the yeah. thing. What I read researching it in the in the graphic novel people who are born on the train train babies as they say right developed a, a very keen sense of hearing oh so she could hear through the doors because that's her world isn't it that's her everything that is a, a 
learned to. But does that make sense? I suppose. Um, uh, I guess maybe she can drown out the train noise. Maybe that's the idea. It doesn't make sense, but it's an explanation. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But it's not an explanation that they went into in the film. Yeah, but that's that's always going to happen with Semantics, adaptations. Isn't it? Um, but yeah, that was quite interesting. I tell you what, I did clock onto when I was researching it and picked up these things. Um, John Hurt's character is called Gilliam, hmm. named after Terry Gilliam. Really? Yeah, because it's very visually inspired by like Brazil. Oh. And stuff like that. And Edgar, the character of Edgar, yeah. named after Edgar Wright. No way. Why? Actually, genuinely. Yeah, yeah, genuinely named after Edgar Wright. Why? Who knows? Just because there's a fan. <laughs> maybe, maybe, or yeah, they just, maybe they were filming in a similar location or something. But yeah, interesting. So yeah, would you recommend it? I would, I would recommend Snowpiercer. It's a unique concept, well told. Good action and great characters, great actors. Yeah, really good. Uh, shockingly good cast, as we say. Yeah. The ending's a bit weird. We won't talk about it. Yeah, we don't do endings. But, a bit weird. Mm, bit weird. Sort of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Huh? What? Mm. Mm. But yes, would you recommend it? Yeah, I would. Definitely. I would recommend it. It's very enjoyable. Very good sofa film. Lie yourself down, get a hot chocolate in, and just... Laugh at their misery. Laugh at their misery and just exist with it. Yeah. Requires very little uh, attention. It would have been nice to have a train conductor character, though, wouldn't it? Definitely. Going down the the train. Tickets, please. Oh, yeah. I forgot. (laughs) Oh, sorry, we haven't got any. Well, back down the train. Anyway. You have one message. Message one. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I got my jacket stuck in the door. It's Jake Gyllenhaal here. Um, hello, Screen Bucket. I know you talked about Nightcrawler today, but I was just wondering if you liked any of my other films. I don't know if you've seen Everest. That's pretty good. I climb up a mountain in that one. I don't know if you've seen The Day After Tomorrow either. It's when New York gets really cold. And Dennis Quaid is my daddy. I don't know if you've seen Prince of Persia either. That's not very good. I don't want you to see that movie. It wasn't my best work. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Enemy. That's pretty good. I don't know if you've seen... Love and other drugs is kind of a romantic comedy. That's pretty good. Jake! Jake, what are you doing? I'm just speaking to Adam and Rob on the phone. Come on, Jake. We need to go out for a walk. Okay. I'll see you later anyway. I've got to go and act in another film. I love you guys. Come on, Jake. Bye. Written and directed by Dan Gilroy, Nightcrawl is a 2014 um, thriller? Yeah. Film uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal as Louis Lou Bloom. A petty thief out of luck and desperate for work in L.A. And he stumbles across it in the most unlikely of ways. Yes. During an accident. He drives past an accident on the road and notices, along with the police turning up to save the day, uh, a pair of camera crewmen. Videographers called Stringers. Um, who basically chase ambulances and sirens um, in order to get video footage of nasty things and sell to the news. Oof, that's not very nice, is it? No, no, it's not. But in some places, that makes money, I guess. You've got to do what you've got to do. You have indeed. And Lou is quick to realise this. So after asking some questions of the, the guys on the scene, 
uh, goes and pawns a bike. That he steals off of the beach. (laughs) Yeah, steals off Venice Beach, goes in, buys himself a camera and a police scanner, and sets out to try and make some money as a freelance video journalist. Just as a quick one, did you notice that the uh, guy in the pawn shop was the horrible head of, uh, what was it, from Preacher? The old father. Yes, yes. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. 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 He's obviously just British fat man who lives in LA. Yeah. It's flung <laughs> in there. Um, yeah. Nightcrawler. Uh, absolutely adore this film. Mm. Have done for years. And no, it's one that people still haven't seen. No. It feels like. No, I just watched it the other day. Yeah. But I, I didn't know because the way it had been described to me, especially regarding Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, character, Lou. Yeah. Was I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know, you know. It was what, so he's the protagonist, but he's not. Well, he's um, he's definitely opens as the protagonist. He's definitely the the main character we've seen go through an arc, but it's a um, self destructive arc, shall we mm. say? But he never really self destructs. No, it's, it's a success story. Well, this is it. Nightcrawler is about essentially a sociopath. Hmm. Lou Bloom is uh, manipulative, fairly evil. During the film, when Jake Gyllenhaal uh, based himself on a coyote, which yeah. you can see, he's got gaunt eyes and just stares at people. So much suddenly, I'm almost going to name the film that. Yeah, yeah, as we just read, yeah. Um, it is a, it's a, what it is, it's a Vags to Riches story of a complete madman. Yeah. It's Definitely. almost it's almost like a parody of the American dream. Hmm. Is how I saw it. It's difficult it's difficult to take in, in that sense. Especially because as it goes on, obviously he discovers that not only can he follow these scenes, but if he gets there in time he can edit them. Yes. Yes. And the That's and that's very quickly he does that. Hmm. He doesn't he doesn't start off as a as a noble video journalist. He enters this world by manipulating the environment it's a bit which actually really got under my skin was when he arrives at one accident and there's a guy lying dead in the road so he grabs him by the legs oh yes pulls him away from the van jumps into the bushes so he can get a better shot yeah and it's all framed and he's doing it purely to get the best oh yeah know, yeah frame it all in and that was the first moment in the film where i went oh god i don't like this guy at all right right hmm. yeah he so yes yeah, so this guy he basically overnight goes from scrap metal thief stealing fences and manhole covers for like 50p a pound to overnight success as a video journalist who sets out to take over the world, really. So he quickly states his goals to the TV director lady and he says... Nina. Nina, yes. Yes. He says uh, that he wants to be president of his own company. He wants to be introduced to everyone in the the network. Yes. Yeah, so he, he starts out by... Get himself a video camera, uh, get himself a police scanner, but then he gets himself a little buddy. Oh yes, he sort of, he sets himself up. What's really, what's really interesting about this film is Jake Gyllenhaal's performance goes up and down. He has different roles in this film. Lou changes as depending on who he's talking to. Hmm. So he's quite, it feels quite natural and a bit shy and ambitious when he's talking to people like Nina. He goes to a diner to meet someone who I presume he got off the internet somewhere, Craigslist is what's in my head, um, to get this new employee. 
to work with him. Played by... Oh, it's Rick, played by Riz Ahmed. Four Lions fame. Yes. Who you would not know... If you didn't know who he was, you would not know his English. No, not at all. He's absolutely nails this sort of Californian waster sort of role. Um, but when he's talking to him, he's very professional. It's professional to the point of like authoritarian professional. Yeah, like tyranny. I, ha- I have this opportunity for you. Yeah, yeah. You're going to work for me for 30 bucks a night and it's a great opportunity. You know it's a great opportunity. This is, this is fact. Absolutely, yeah. It's not up for negotiation. And not only, it's not even what he's saying. His whole demeanour changes. Hmm. He scrapes his hair back. He puts in a ponytail. You know, he wears glasses. That's he's, true as well. His he, his appearance changes, isn't it? He's like a shapeshifter. Hmm. Maybe he's less like a coyote, more like a werewolf. He's sort of like, he changes depending on who he's talking to. And through that, he manipulates everyone around him. Hmm. And it's quite uncomfortable, actually, when you think about it. It is. It, it becomes uncomfortable at the point when you realise he's doing it. Because at the start of the film, he's when he's selling the scrap metal and stuff, mm-hmm. and he's speaking to the man who's telling him to go and do one, he comes across as very ambitious, as, and as someone you want to succeed. Yeah. Think, well, he, okay. say, he says, doesn't he, hire me, I want a job. Yeah. And the guy's like, I'm not hiring a thief, yeah. you know. And he keeps going, what about an internship, what about anything? And yeah. You're rooting for him at that moment. But when you realise what he's up to... And you realise it's all the games with him that he's just changing and changing and changing. Does he know what he's up to? That's true. He sort of falls into these positions where he just ends up in a situation where he... It's almost like he's playing the part of someone else. Mm. Oh, this guy in this situation would do this. So I'm going to do that. It's that and it's instinct. Yeah. It's just pure instinct to every situation. It's definitely a predator. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But do you know what? I really love this scene where... Um, him and Rick are bartering for what Rick's new salary is. And then yes. uh, Rick says, oh, 75 bucks a night. Yes. I could have asked for more, couldn't I? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He says it with happiness and just pure, like, matter of fact. But he but he's, he makes the point of that earlier on as well. He says that he, like, he, when he talks to Nina, or he sees Nina talking to Frank, one of the other guys in the news station. Hmm. Um, and he goes, I like how... You just say what you mean. You're objective. Mm. And and so he absorbs that into his new role as this TV guy. Mm. Yeah. And then there's this, this sort of demands he makes to Nina. It's quite perverse as well, in a way. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, things... I'd say the first half are fairly... Although the character's interesting, the first half is probably quite standard. Mm. It's quite formulaic. It sort of follows that template of the rags to riches, but with this horrible character after that point things go really dark they follow a much more sinister path mm. and by the end you don't even know what's happening like really it's really even though i've seen it before watching it again for this chat it was very edge of the seat stuff because i you don't know what's going to happen next no not at all there's a moment where he's there's a moment when things shift and he has to make a decision. Yeah, there's a moment where a, f- a crash happens and chance would have it as he has an interaction with someone in which he could be respectful or he could take advantage of it. Yeah. And of course he takes advantage of it with complete and utter em- lack of emotion. This is the thing. This is why I think it's a parody almost of the American dream because to get successful... 
it famously to be successful you have to be at least in a way psychopathic you have to have that lack of empathy to tread on others to get up hmm. and that's what's embodied in it even though it's a very small film in its way it's it's la after dark it's on these roads these side roads that you'd never normally see in an la based film hmm. it sort of reminds me of um uh it's not quite the same but like taxi driver yeah, no, I know what you mean. Or Repo Man. It's the seedy other world. It's the other world. It's the yeah, it's the dark side of LA. It's the bits of LA you go into if you get lost. Yeah, yeah, and you find all these characters. Here. It would have been nice if things were. I don't know. It's quite small in scope. It's got an indie film vibe about it, even though it's not. Hmm. Um, it's not the indie where it's like it's just filmed where it is. Hmm. You. It could have gone in a direction where it pushed the CD aside a little bit more, I think. It could have gone into the red light district and followed hookers. and mm. It could have entered the taxi driver world, mm. but it didn't. It stayed mm. very much on its own, which is admirable, but that could have been a direction, I think. Mm. Also, there's a lot of connections with Drive. Yeah, I see that. In that it's it's the it's the it's the soulless wanderer at mm. night, isn't it, driving around? And that's much the same. That's the other other part, isn't it? The drive is the forgotten streets. Yes, you know? absolutely. Yeah, that's the only thing. Nightcrawler's soundtrack's not particularly memorable. No, it could. I think if it came out now, it would have more of a drive. Do you know the soundtrack is great though? Because because there are certain scenes where you would expect for the director to put in like a sinister sort of backing track, especially when he's doing things like like dragging body, bodies across the set of yeah, scene. Yeah. But instead there's this kind of slightly floaty, inspirational, positive music in I the guess. background to him doing it. It's quite... Yeah, it's quite detached, yeah. I suppose. Well, I, I'm sure I read somewhere that the music cues used in it were supposed to be in Lou's head. Really? It's him in his own film. That makes a lot of sense. So you saying that, actually, that does... Yeah, it has that flow. He's like, oh, this is what this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna, and this will get me the the shot I want. This yeah, is nice. yeah, I guess so. Not look what this weird creep is doing with that corpse to get money. I guess. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I just, I just kind of want to hear more simp. <laughs> of course, he does. You can't be simp on everything. Anyway, um, yeah, it's a great film, and it's on Netflix, so I think everyone should watch it. Hmm. There's a lot that we can't talk about, which we don't. We don't want to give it away because it's, yeah. it's really is just watching a, a man spiral into insanity in a positive way. It's spiraling up, spiraling up, yeah, mm. um, and doesn't really care about the people no. on the way up. Yes, it's um, definitely one of the better films out there. I think. I think mm. it's. I would put it on one of my top lists. I think. Yeah. And definitely an easy choice on Netflix if you haven't seen it already. Yes, absolutely. I'm just a sweet screen bucket. You have one message. Message one. Hello, it's you, McLeggar here. I've just gotten off the phone with Danny Boyle, and he says to me that in fact, 10 years' time, we can do train spotting free. When I'm old as all hell. But the thing is, you're gonna have to write a never book about it. So I don't know if that would be appropriate, as we can't be doing 
all sorts of harmful Class A drugs when I'm 18 freaking years old. Thank you, Adam and Lob. I'm coming down with a bit of a cold nay. So have a good show. I'm going to have the that one back. <laughs> that comes to the end of our first uh, screen rewind bucket. Is that a good name? Or we stick re re bucket stream re bucket green bucket screen bucketed screen bucketed yeah nice. past tense nice. yeah screened bucket screened bucket mm. do. all right whatever it is so yes that's the end of our show i hope you enjoyed it our collection of film chats yeah and uh keep on listening obviously uh next week or the week after depending on when you're listening you will have a uh, more magical uh, mystery chats from our past Yes, do tune in next time. I might throw in some improv as well. We'll see. Yeah, you freaked me out when you said improv earlier. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I need to reboot that disgustingly rusty. I ending. think it was good. It was good fun. It was bad. It was good fun, but it was bad. Yeah, that's fine. People love that. Mm. Don't you? Don't you? Sitting there. Don't start. Home. Don't start improving. <laughs> Is that what you're doing? No, I was talking to the uh, listeners. Oh, okay. I was talking to them in their underwear. Oh, God. Sitting there at home. Yeah. Putting soap all over there. I don't know why I've done all Phil Mitchell of so all voices. Yeah, I read um, on Digital Spy that Phil's uh, Sharon's baby isn't Phil's. So, EastEnders fans, yeah. Did you, you just spoil that? No, because his. Bleh. All right, I've got a little rant to end oh, this with. God, little rant. Right. Okay. Every now and again, when I'm researching movie news, mm. I go on Digital Spy. Mm. Okay. Um. And the soap community, they like spoilers. So it tells you what's going to happen in the coming weeks. Okay. Mr. Sausage Bottom is going to get pushed down the Mr. stairs. Mr. Sausage Bottom. Mr. Sausage Bottom is going to get pushed down the stairs and die. Here's who is going to kill him. All right. And that's what they do all year. Well, There's yeah. no mystery. It's flipping <laughs> dumb as hell. People who like soap operas also like gossip. Is that all it is? It's just yes, an extra bit of gossip. That's a hundred percent it. It's because it's continuous, continuous. Yeah, drama, it's like twenty-four hour gossip. Yeah, it's all the time. So they want to. Oh, this is what's going to happen next. It doesn't matter. It's a spoiler because it's not like you're just watching one film. There's more crap. But they only it. do that for like the EastEnders, Coronation Street. They don't do, they don't do that for Hollyoaks. I don't remember them doing it for Hollyoaks. Uh, well, they have a Hollyoaks section on Digital Spot. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, who's gonna burn down the pub? Yeah. Who's going to bang each other on yeah. the swimming pool porch? Is that still going? Is that still going? I'm just... Yeah, they play it in my gym. Do so, they? Which is really annoying. You're on a treadmill. The screen in front of you is Hollyoaks. Maybe it's for the people facing away from you. I think it's... Run! <laughs> Run, Hollyoaks! Is I think it's so... Because everyone on Hollyoaks is like ridiculously sexy, aren't they? Yeah, there's they no, used to be, certainly. Uh, there's no contrast. Like mm. in EastEnders, they got a couple of fatties on there to... Well, EastEnders is 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 well regarded by American audiences because it's got ugly people in it. Is that a fact? Yeah, because soap operas in America is all glitz and glam. Oh, like Dallas is just exclusively attractive people. Yeah, used to be. Or any, all of them. They're all even like Spanish and Mexican shows as well. You see, Mm. and they're all glamorous and stuff. Not in uh, not in EastEnders, Uh, and Americans love it. They think Ian Beale is the real thing. Well, you might find people attractive in it but on the whole it's like you could 
You can imagine being there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's that's the strength. Admittedly, good actors are involved with EastEnders as well. I won't completely slate them. Oh, Danny Dyer. Oh, yeah. You're just talking about Danny Dyer. Get out of my bum. Have a Jager bum. Have a Jager bum. (laughs) Trombone, what was that? What bit was that? Oh, we can't do that bit. What? Can we play that? Should we play that? Oh, we could. Have we not played that yet? We haven't played that yet. I'm not sure we can. (laughs) (laughs) Have a Jager bum. Uh, anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, look up Danny Dyer's Right Royal Me Remix. Right, let's say that again. Danny Dyer's Right Royal Remix. So it's remix from the show where he's tracking down his royal heritage because he's related to Richard III or Henry VIII or someone. Oh, he's completely in with all of the the royal types. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a follow-up to his Who Do You Think You Are when it turned out who's royalty. Oh, okay. Uh, so he goes and sort of looks deeper into it. It's a good show, actually. I've seen some clips. I might, I might be able to watch. There's a lot of it on YouTube. And, and it's a lot of funny watching the clips of YouTube going, I remember that bit in the song. Ah. It's <laughs> a carrot. That's a part. Is it that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's underneath? My cob piece. <laughs> it's Godzilla. Sha. Sha. <laughs> anyway, follow us at screen underscore bucket on Twitter. Follow North Arts FM at North Arts FM. And if you're interested in the film stuff that we're going to be getting on with over the next couple of weeks, follow us at Hollowdale Media. Yeah, please do. We will keep you updated with loads of gory pictures and the like. Uh, quick update from Steve. Steve. What's the name of that pub? The name of that pub is the Barleycorn. The Barleycorn. And it was the John Barleycorn as well. Yeah, that's, that's, what, the ma- the that's one thing you're the person. Yeah. Well, well done, Steve. Thanks, Steve. And well done you at home. For joining us on that journey. Oh, thanks, guys. It was a hell of a ride. <laughs> and we'll leave you now with a tribute to the late, great Rutger Hauer, an icon of sci-fi and film in general, who passed last week. Rest in peace. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears.
gentleman's job, sir. I guess you're through. 